Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, hello everybody, and welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. We are talking to Amy Weitzman, and she's a relationship coach. And we're going to talk about something that I know a lot of people get super curious about. It's breaking free from, in her case, a religious cult to create the best and perfect life for her. And I know that's hot topic with like the Nexium documentary, second season coming out. And people are always fascinated by getting people that get stuck in cults. But you, Amy, you grew up in one. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's tell everybody what it is that you're doing now. And yeah, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah, I work with individuals and couples to have better relationships, more pleasure, better sex, more intimacy, vulnerability, more fun in their lives through the work of through the lens of relationships and intimacy. And yeah, I love what I do. I'm a, I'm a coach. Awesome. And I know people desperately need human to human connection. And when you have a lot of beliefs and a lot of things all wound up that keep you maybe a little bit afraid or afraid to be alone, or you've had some adverse experiences in your life, mm -hmm. it's really hard to create that deep connection and that deep intimacy, especially if you grew up in what you call purity culture. Yes, that is what I call it. And what I love about that phrase, that's really pretty new just in the last few years, I've started to hear it just more and more often, is that it, instead of everyone kind of thinking, well, mine was a little different, or I was in this religion or that subsect of another religion, it just gives us a common language to say that, you know, mostly women, but I think all genders are affected by this. We're told that in some ways that being human was not okay and really, really reducing their sense of self-expression and increasing shame and reducing pleasure to the point where, yeah, it really makes it hard to be happy or live a fulfilling life. Yeah, purity. And I find purity culture has long, long lasting effects on people. 
Yeah. I, it's interesting. Two of my very good friends grew up in cults with purity mm -hmm. culture and they've broken free, <laughs> obviously, or else they probably wouldn't be friends with me, be friends, but we wouldn't be as tight as we are. I think you said you hit something really important is not necessarily allowing happiness. And I think it's like having to live inside of a certain box that's predetermined for you. And I think whether you grew up in a religious cult, uh, other kind of cults, regular household, we all mm -hmm. have these expectations of what we're supposed to be like, whether cultural or familial. And there's a piece that I've been thinking a lot about, and we think, and I always look to nature when I'm looking to understand things. And I think about the growing of a tree right? It's mm -hmm. organism or a plant. And what it's going to do, it's going to do what's right for it. It's mm -hmm. not going to necessarily bend and contort the way we do to fit into a particular mold. I guess if you potted it in a plant, it would be forced to <laughs> be forced to place of those boundaries of what you were told is supposed to be right. Some of the things that you were told that now looking back was sort of a denial of self that you were told to fit into. What was the pot you were told to fit into that now you can see was a denial of what's healthy and right for the organism of you? Yeah, that's a great question. I was told that happiness should not be a driving force of life and that suffering and what this God who was male wanted from me should be my driving force of life. And I think there was a deep knowing in me that that couldn't possibly be completely true. And maybe none of it was true. And there were other beliefs that went along with that, which is that my, my body must be tightly controlled at all times. And even my thinking must be tightly controlled at all times. And if you didn't do those things, something really, really bad could happen to you. But what's interesting is like something really, really bad was happening to me. And it wasn't what was going on in my own mind or normal and natural desires of the human body. It was these beliefs, the calls coming from inside the house kind of moment when I figured out that it, it wasn't, yeah, who I was, but this set of beliefs that was causing me harm that was in my inner circle. Yeah. And belief is one of the most powerful forces there is. And one of my mentors talks about beliefs as decisions. It is a much more empowered way to think about it, but it's very true because you believe something because at some time point in time you chose to accept that it's true and so even when we're little and we think oh we have no choice <laughs> you have no choice but this and this and this and you do you might not like any of those choices you could run away from the family and probably not live 
or you could choose to accept what they're dishing out. Those are two terrible choices, but there is a choice. It's true. And I wrestled with that choice, like hundred percent. Yep. I can only imagine when we think of, and we think about these decisions that we make and sometimes we don't have the resources to really make a good decision for us, but we're always, I believe, right. I've decided to, I've chosen to accept as true that we are always doing the best that we can with the resources we have. And the unfortunate thing about beliefs is we don't, most people don't know how to upgrade their beliefs based on where they are now. So what were some of the clues or some of the choices, some of the early choices that you can remember making around? Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, I made a lot of maladaptive choices, um, but a couple, there's definitely some, some pivotal moments probably for each decade. One I can think about is choosing to go to college really far away, which mm -hmm. wasn't a practical choice. It wasn't an economical choice. I think it caused me, yeah, like a lot of hardships in a lot of different ways, but I knew that there was just a knowing, like I have to put some distance between what's going on at home with my family and the life I want to have. So that was one pivotal moment where I just, I just knew I only applied to two schools, both in Boston. And I knew I just had to be here. Another is after a whole bunch of chronic health issues in my twenties, which I had really had since childhood, you know, they'd morphed and changed and I'd gone to different doctors and and I'd also started therapy in my 20s. This moment where it just seemed like there were so many problems and nobody had a real answer for me, but the, the, the kind of the day-to-day -day symptom was that I was tired all the time. Couldn't sleep, was tired all the time. And, and it felt like I could go down this road of being aligned with my health problems. Or since I had gone to all the doctors and they couldn't find anything, I actually could decide that there was nothing wrong with my body and that maybe it was telling me something else, but it wasn't telling me that I had like a physical structural thing that needed medical help. Um, and that was a really empowered choice looking back. There's, there's a couple of things that, I really love to pull out those things where somebody says, oh, this story is so extreme to one side and mm -hmm. there's mirrors in here for everybody's life. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people listening and watching can relate to that idea of mm -hmm. I need to go to college as far away as possible. I literally chose between the two schools I was accepted to, I chose the one that was farther away because it was farther away. So mm -hmm. needing to get out of a place that's really constrictive and contractive, that's not healthy for the organism of you, I think is something a lot of people can really relate to. And so that choice is an empowered choice. You had a little more space to breathe and start to probably pay attention to the body stuff. And the body stuff is really big because if we think about that metaphor of the tree, if the tree is going to lean towards the light, right? That might be the 
college all the way across the country, going to mm -hmm. lean towards the light to find what's best for me, the organism, as far instead of growing straight so that I could stay in the shade and suffer. There's clues when a plant is not healthy. Its mm -hmm. leaves might start to brown or shrivel when it's not getting the resources and the nourishment that it actually needs. And we tend to, with our conscious minds, overpower our body and just keep going, keep going, keep going. I really like to lean into that space of paying attention to the body, paying attention to what it's telling you, because, you know, over as a whole, I think people are really stressed out. And it's like, what can I do? What, what's the silver bullet to fix this problem? What's the pill I can take? What's the one program I can take? And it's all going to be fixed. And what I've learned is the program is you've got to learn to pay attention to the organism and what's going on because you are a consciousness walking around in this organism. Your health problems started when you were around 11, I think you said. Yep. Yeah. That's the, and those are the, that's the one I can remember just the kind of daily headaches, sometimes a few times a week, but often daily and really interfering with my schoolwork and enjoyment of life and not really them being vague enough and mild enough that I could push through, but it's so painful to push through things, but that is where I learned that skill. And in some ways, maybe that, that skill took me far, but there became a time when that was no longer a way that I could work with the dissonance between what was happening internally and what was how good or normal I was making things look on the outside. It's interesting. I think about, I remember I had migraines in college. <laughs> And I would have them for three or four days out of the week. And I finally found some medication that worked. And mm -hmm. it took me a day and a half to recover from the medication. But it was better than the four days of a migraine. And that resilience of being able to push through is something that probably has served you in the long run is in so many different ways, especially breaking free from everything that you've broken through. And also it's okay if we have to push through something really hard for short periods of time, doing it in a long period situation, we're always doing it constantly over and over. You're sending the body into fight and flight stress response all of the time. And when you're in that place, things escalate. I Yeah, I agree. And I think caused this maladaptive relationship with my body. And that's what I really like to think about now is not fixing my body, making it work like a machine or like I expected to or wanted to, but improving the relationship with my body. Thinking of my mind and my body as one thing for many, many years, we were, there's, there wasn't enough resources and understanding to have a good relationship. Um, and knowing that that's what I will consistently be working on for the rest of my life is remembering to have a soft and gentle relationship 
even more than I have a relationship where I push my body, which is my natural first go-to even now and might be still for a long time. I think it's interesting as we learn, those of us that have powered through and pushed our bodies over and over and over again, what I have learned in my own healing and what I see in my clients is the more you get out of that and the more you bring balance to the body, it's like the little thing that you're like, oh, too much stress. I know to step back. And we've pushed through it so much. It takes so much before we even notice. Yes. People talk about tolerance, like outdoor this, but when you're used to navigating something, when it becomes your normal, you don't notice if you've swung way to the right, if there's just a little pull over to the left, you don't notice until it's at least as equal. I think a quote I love by Tony Robbins is that people change when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. And so if we've swung way over to the right, pain that has to be like, the change pain has to be equal enough that it's like this is over so far that this pain of change is actually finally less. And for a lot of people, that is so huge. You become more imbalanced. That pain is, it's very small. You're like, oh, I'm a little off balance here. I'm going to go home and go to bed early tonight and take care of myself in that way. What have you noticed that's a big difference in as you're coming into more balance with your body, have you noticed that similar thing? What have you noticed? Yeah, it definitely right. It doesn't take the amount of pain it took. I was going to say those first few times, but I'm like those first few decades to get me to make a change or really to listen. It's like sometimes actually you can't change something right away. Or society is making something hard. Like society, society is not easy on women. It's not easy on mothers, not even easy on single mothers. So there's a lot of circumstances that are actually quite difficult to change, especially if you've been denied capital for centuries, right? Like that capital makes things easy. Resources make things easier to change. So it's really acknowledging the acknowledgement is as important as often as the changes, is the ability to say, just that self-compassion, this is hard. I'd like to be able to change it. I might not be able to right now. I might in the future. But what, what I can do right now is be kinder to myself and just acknowledge that this is difficult. Yeah. I think there's a big piece in that in acceptance just is the way it is and it's hard and that's okay and yeah Yeah. and sometimes i burn so much energy resisting acceptance and sometimes change can't come until you've just accepted the circumstances you can't even see it clearly so you might be doing all these crazy things that you think are going to get you the change you need but if you haven't truly accepted something 
you might not be making the smartest moves about it, even if you're doing things. Well, I think so. that's a really, really important part is we as people are so often running, running, trying to get out of pain, whatever it is, trying to get out of pain, resisting, resisting, resisting. And I always say that acceptance is the bridge to the change that you want, mm -hmm. because you can't, if you're on one side of the river, you can't get to the other side unless you're actually accept that there's a river there trying to fight against the river the whole time you're just spending so much energy fighting against and again if you're the tree are you going to be focused on leaning towards the sun or are you fighting against the shade right and if you're fighting against the shade what are you focused on you're focused on everything you don't want yeah Yep. And so when you can accept that the things you don't want are just there, actually start to move to the other side. But you've got to accept first. There's that place. You can't, a lot of people just try to skip right over to the end, right? That's the silver bullet that everybody's looking for. Let me just skip all the way over to the end instead of taking the steps you've got to, to go mm -hmm. through. So thinking of taking the steps, mm -hmm. growing up in purity culture, mm -hmm. getting away for college, mm -hmm. what was the next step to helping you break free? And choosing with the body thing, though, real quick, I want to bring that out is that you chose to accept that this is not the way it has to be. You're not damaged or broken, that you can choose the, the possibility of healing. Yeah, yes, there was definitely these moments where it's maybe all the difficulty of my childhood is just going to make things difficult for me for the rest of my life. I'm carrying this stuff in my body now and I'm just kind of stuck with it and it's going to constantly cause problems. Uh, I still think part of me understood that there was a choice in there and that even that from the bigger picture, I had chosen this lifetime to work something out. So going back to even before I was born, that actually this was not, this is something I would say is something that's come to me more in my 40s, but that um, believing that I chose to be here on this exact path is actually really important to me because that gives me agency. It doesn't feel like someone handed me something really hard. And I also wanted to acknowledge, want to acknowledge that like, people are handed much, much harder things than me, or maybe they choose them. I don't get to decide that for them. But for me, I think deciding that I chose it even before this life was created is important to me. It's the idea of choice gives you agency. You don't have to be a victim to everything. Are you going to choose to get up and do what you need to do to heal your body? Or are you gonna choose to eat all the terrible things and have terrible relationships and all of these things? And I know for my own experience, what I've seen in my clients, we continue to make the choices until they don't work anymore. When you 
choose a belief system that you made the choice to be here, then you're right. You have agency. Your choices have long tail. I mean, we are living the choices that we made six months ago, playing out in our life right now, even mm -hmm. more than that. So that choice that you chose to be here and stuff to work out and choosing that you're not broken, that you can heal, giving you agency to move forward in your life. So what happened next for in your series of choices that allowed mm -hmm. you to break free from a cult that's really very controlling? Right. And a lot of it is mind control. And you think, oh, I'll leave home and then all that will all evaporate. And that was a very rude awakening to find that I had brought that with me. Even when I thought I was doing the opposite of what I said they said I should do, I was still doing it with the same tone and harshness and self-perfectionism and self-criticalness that I had been taught to do. And that was the much more insidious thing to work with. But in terms of like, some more pivotal moments and choices was that in my late 30s, I went to an ecstatic dance and I'd been in therapy for a long time, every week, sometimes twice a week. I'd done EMDR, I'd done all the things, I'd been really working on stuff and healing and a wonderful mindfulness program that changed things quite a bit for me. But I think there was something about the physical movement and free expression of joy at this ecstatic dance that was like a light switch. Yeah, it just, it had not been switched on. I didn't actually know I could feel that much joy in my body. There was like a whole circuit that wasn't functioning, but I didn't know it because if I had known it, I would have done something about it. And I'd done yoga, but this was different. Dance is joyful movement. Yoga is awesome. I still like it, but this is, this was different. This was like fully free express, expression, being around other people who were also experiencing joy and maybe other stuff too, sadness, the full range, but just like a love bomb in a way, like exposing myself to that. Yes. I think the world would be a happier place if we all dance a little more. And one of the things about dance and moving your body to a rhythm is you are moving, you move stuff in and out of your body, sense of freedom. You also have a sense of agency because it's this like, wow, my body can do things. It can create movement. It can sync to a rhythm and have rapport with this music and with other people that are also synced to that rhythm. And mm -hmm. if everybody's synced to a similar rhythm, you're creating connection feeds joy. Joy is one of my top values. <laughs> I stopped in the middle of a Bed Bath & Beyond yesterday because the song I like was on in the big main walkway. Yeah. And I was dancing in circles for about yeah. three minutes or half of the song to get going. <laughs> but there is something so freeing, allowing yourself to have joy. And you were brought up in a world where you were not supposed to have joy. We were, but only about certain things that didn't really resonate with me. That wasn't who I was. What were you allowed to have joy about? 
Well, really anything the religion said was acceptable. So maybe food, we were allowed to have joy about food. I think that's a good example. Um, that's going to definitely tie probably to some overeating and some of that stuff. Laura trying to unwind everywhere in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Only in the certain ways, right? Not too much joy, only a certain amount. Yeah. You want to make sure you fit the, the ideal of beauty that society has created for us. That was in there too. Like that perfectionism, everything was, even the joys that were allowed had a box around them in a way that a dance, a room full of people expressing themselves any way they want to is so powerful. Cause I remember going and I would go every week and I would be like, wow, I could just move in ways that feel good to me. And then sometimes I'd get stuck. I'd be like, what does feel good to me? I don't even know. And then I would have a, a rough time at dance and leave unfulfilled or worry that like, I should be spending more time with my children instead of out here doing this thing for me, like all kinds of stuff would try and limit what I call my pleasure ceiling. Mm -hmm. So it's like I had a very, very low pleasure ceiling and that dance every week was just like working on it. What beliefs are getting in the way of it going up higher and leaving more room for that joy and full expression? I love that. So what was the pivotal moment when you really broke free? from your purity culture boundaries? It's a good question. I mean, it was definitely around that time that I discovered dance. And it wasn't like dancing wasn't allowed in my particular purity culture. So it wasn't the dance itself. It was the, the not caring what other people thought of how mm. I looked or how I acted. I think, and that was around the time I both became an artist I did not know I was an artist and also got divorced. And that was also, so that I think that the thing around divorce was like, that was such a, a taboo move. And then right. that's to my own sense about, can I still be a good mother and can I be divorced? And not only did my religion have a lot of pressure on marriage, but society also does. And then there's the whole piece of the disempowerment of being through a traumatic experience for a very long time is you're not necessarily, you might be good at some parts of life, but not other parts of life. And so it's like, can I do this on my own? Can I let go of the stability of being married? Can I trust myself to figure it out in all areas, even though there's some that I was able to put aside so I could work on others? I one of the things that I really love about what you're saying, I think it is so relatable. Mm -hmm. I think people, people think, what is it when, if you're in a cult type environment that has mind control, how do they're like, how do people stay in that? How do people get in that? But what you're talking about breaking free from the boundaries of what you're supposed to be. You're yeah. supposed to be a good mom. You're supposed to get married. You're supposed to not feel pleasure, not allow yourself to be sexually free, not hold it in the balance, be worried about and concerned about what everybody thinks. All of those things are things that most everybody goes through at some point. And when you're looking towards leaning into becoming the wolf and being who you're born to be, it's the tree that's going to lean towards the light. You be bound by the other things. And so breaking free from those things, 
I think in certain circumstances is much more not easy <laughs> than other circumstances. And I think so many people have their own levels of how much of that they've got to break through, no matter what kind of life they grew up in. Absolutely. Yeah. And I really think it's important not to feel that if someone is having struggling to find a life that has ample pleasure that they enjoy, where their relationships are really beautiful and bring them ease. It's like you don't have to have gone through something terrible to struggle with that. And so I really don't like to compare. Like I definitely had, I had a more dramatic journey in some ways. I needed many more years of therapy just to get up to a level where I could start to develop some of the tools and skills that some other people may have been working on years earlier at that stage in life. Um, but I also think sometimes, yeah, there's just a way in which like nothing really horrible happened, but people didn't figure out how to live a life that's fulfilling to them. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, one journey is not more important necessarily than another was something I've noticed too. 100%. And what I love about you saying that and my own, here's another one of my decisions and beliefs I have decided because I had lots of layers of different kinds of trauma, lots of layers of different things. And it, it's taken me maybe more to unwind than some other people. And the same as you just said, basically is the same for you. A journey that wasn't so easy to unwind that stuff. We have more breath to hold the space for people one of my beliefs is that you can only really take people as far as you yourself have come. Mm -hmm. And so I feel and I experience in my work with my clients that I can hold a lot more space for people that have had a lot of trauma. I can hold more of that because I've broken through it. And mm -hmm. so the, the unconscious mind or the, that knowing it's going to really only let itself fully feel safe with people that have been able to break through those things as well. And so for you as a coach, leaning into helping people with intimacy and relationship and that kind of connection and reclaiming that pleasure and joy, I think is incredibly important and in how I can see that you have, I haven't worked with you, but you're going to have more possibility of being able to bring people through more as you, the more you heal in your life and you'll have a wider range than maybe somebody else that does similar work. One thing I think I want to touch on before we wrap up is when we're talking about relationships and sexuality and pleasure one of the big hindrances is shame. And such what the purity culture, I think, does is they put their values on other people and in the form of shame. And so when you grow up with that and you've got to break free from that, it's something that I think you work with a lot in the work you do, yes? Yes. Yeah. And I think the, right, the amount of shame I had to let go of to be able to have a life where 
sexuality is a creative, beautiful, wonderful part of my life, the amount of shame I had to break through gave me these tools, including tools I developed that are unique to me and that are shareable. But it was like I had to innovate. It wasn't there wasn't someone out there who was putting a shingle out and saying, I'd like to work with shame, except kind of for Brene Brown. And I love right. her for it. It was finding her was pivotal for me to understand what was still in my way at that time. And so, yes, I, I really think like shame is the blocker of creativity and creativity is the thing that makes for great sex. And it is also the vulnerability. Shame is a blocker to vulnerability. And you also can't have great sex without, without vulnerability. And that vulnerability is such, whether you're having sex or having a conversation, the openness, it's vulnerability. Vulnerability for people has this like, oh my God, it's so scary. Mm -hmm. But it's really about openness, being able to just be fully open. Because yeah. if you no longer have any shame, like I tell stories sometimes and people are like, oh my God, that's so vulnerable. But it doesn't feel like that. Oh, vulnerable because there's no shame around it. It just feels open and free. And that is, I think, that probably a cornerstone to that intimacy and great sex. Yes, yes. And I got there incrementally, just like everyone else. The first conversation was really hard. And that vulnerability felt totally foreign and add on the body shame that's coming at women, but everyone from all the angles. And so it's like a perfect storm where you can't talk about anything, but yeah, just step by step. And that's, I would say like the last 10 years is I've been dating and I, I've had various, all kinds of romantic partnerships during that time. And that's allowed me to just keep working through that shame around my body and around sexuality. And what's amazing is that every time I show up, really great things happen. Occasionally something unfortunate happens that's not fun, but I show up, I do the work. I love myself enough to keep working on saying no to shame. It tries all the time. And yet mm -hmm. I just use that self-love, that self-compassion to keep looking it in the eye and saying, you don't have power over me anymore. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So tell us, <laughs> tell us all the good stuff. How do people find you? How do people work mm -hmm. with you? What do you do? What do you have to offer? All those things. All the great. Yeah. Happy to. Yeah. So I'm the founder of the Pleasure Center. The idea is that it's really a place for individuals and couples who are struggling with anything around their sexuality or relationships to come. And I love being a guide in that space. Anti-shame activism is one thing I love to work with clients on. And I think I really have a gift around reframing shame. It's very hard to do this work on your own. You really do need someone who's a little bit ahead on the path, maybe a lot, shining the flashlight back. So you're not fumbling around in the dark anymore. I love to make up all kinds of creative exercises that help people understand their sexuality better. I have one session that I give that's just all about what I know now about pleasure that I wish I had known 20 years ago. Rethinking all our beliefs about pleasure is really critical. 
I really love giving a session on like role play, which I call story play to help people be less afraid of it. And the idea is not necessarily that you'll ever do story play in the bedroom, but that you could learn to talk about it. And it's a tool to know more about yourself. Yeah. So I really, I really love my work. Awesome. And one of the things I think you do a lot of, we've talked about, you do a lot of experiential feeling into creative type of healing work with people. And from my own experience and healing trauma, both sides being a healer of trauma and having received it, there is a lot of power in that kind of work, the kind of work where you experience it in the body because as mm-hmm. you said earlier, mind mm-hmm. and body are connected. And when you heal the mind, when you heal the body, it affects the other ones because they're connected. 100% connected people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I really love working with self-permission slips. I have a whole in-depth mm-hmm. art project around that called the official registry of permissions, but I'll often just work with clients and they'll s- I'll send them the digital version and they can fill it out. And one of my favorite things is being on Zooms and seeing people's permission slips behind them and the empowerment of giving oneself permission. I think this yeah. work can actually be really fun. And that's something I think I also bring that's a little more unique. Awesome. Yes. Bring in the joy. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. All righty. Those of you listening, you can find her at thepleasure.center. Yes. And for those of you that are looking for more pleasure in your career, (laughs) looking to switch into things that you actually love, that bring you joy, and that you do them for work, And a lot of that is also overcoming the shame, overcoming the perfectionism, overcoming those fears about what people think. If you're you're looking for career fulfillment, want to switch into a great new career, I have a free career guide for you all. It's called Five Secrets You Need to Switch to a Great Career. You can find that at elevatefreegift.com. Oh, Amy, thank Uh, you for sharing part of your journey and some of the things you have learned. I know how important it is that we each lean into our own version of the sunshine, our own Mm -hmm. version of the joy. And I love that you're a guiding light for others to do that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to talk with you. Yay. All right, everybody. You all have a beautiful day. And if you haven't done so and you needed to really remember what Amy's website was or the free gift was, open up your browser right now and type it in, unless you're driving, (laughs) and type it in thepleasure.center for Amy or elevatefreegift.com for me. All right, y'all, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.